How's everybody doing this morning? Pretty good. All right. Everybody as tired as I am? I'm going to try and preach on like three hours sleep, not just last night, but like for the whole week. Okay. Those kids, man, they keep you up at camp. You ever say yes to something you should say no to? Okay. Anyway. I'm just kidding. Uh, this morning we're going to be in John chapter 4. So if you turn in your Bibles to John chapter 4 with me. Les asked me to preach four weeks ago, and I wrote one sermon, said I don't want to preach that sermon, so I wrote another sermon, said I don't want to preach that sermon, so I was kind of debating between those two sermons, and then two days before camp, I felt like the Holy Spirit was saying, no, I want you to preach on something totally different, so this is the third sermon I've written in, uh, I could probably never hear the other two, but anyway, I don't know how this one's going to go, because again, I'm on three hours sleep. And here's, here's where we are in John chapter 4. These verses are uh, in the middle. We had, I asked uh, the youth band earlier. Oh, first off, I want to thank them for leading worship. Don't they always do a great job? Great move, give me a break. Thank you. Uh, so Will read those verses earlier um, that are kind of give us a little bit of context of what we're going to focus on this morning. Um, these verses that we're going to focus on are obviously in this really large context of the whole chapter and so I don't want to be guilty of just taking these ones out of context, because there's this whole chapter, there's so much going on in this chapter. There's a ton of it going on. I was texting all of like my other worship leader friends and some of my other pastor friends. I texted Corey, and I was like, hey, I'm going to preach on this text. What, what just sticks out to you in this text? And I got so many like little good things that I'm like, man, I, can't, I don't have time to dive into that. I don't have time to dive into that. And so... Um, this, this text could really be like its own, probably like three-month sermon series if you, if you wanted it to be. But um, today, I just want to focus in on a few things. Since I, as your worship pastor, um, there's some things in here that I think are helpful to us as a church. And so we're going to read the text, and then I'm going to just point out a few things real quick. I'm not going to go long today, okay? Starting in verse 23. But the hour is coming, this is Jesus talking, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ, when he comes, he, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. So this, this text, like I said earlier, is part of this larger conversation that Jesus is having in this encounter with the Samaritan woman at the well. And there's a lot of background and contextual stuff going on here. Like Jesus is a Jew. She's a Samaritan. They did not interact with each other. Jews saw Samaritans as inferior people as they were descendants of the Jews who had been left behind during the Babylonian exile, and these Jews had intermarried with other people, and so the Jews saw these people as not real Jews, and they kind of inhabited the area of Samaria, which is like where Israel is, which um, is the northern part, and so, um, so what's going on here is there's this debate between the two groups. There's this debate between the Jews and the Samarians, and their debate is where's the right place to worship God. Their argument about true worship 
at this time was all about where do you go to truly worship God? And Jesus says to the woman, pretty soon, actually, the time is now, right? The time is now that it's not going to matter where you worship, but it's going to matter how you worship. Jesus says, true worship can happen wherever you are as long as your worship consists of these two things, spirit and truth. So let's talk about those two things, and then, then we'll tie it up with a little bow, okay, at the end. Spirit. What does it mean to worship God in spirit? Okay. Is it up there? There we go. The, the Greek word used here in this text for spirit is the word pneuma, and it has two definitions. It can be translated literally the Holy Spirit. It can also be translated the rational spirit, the power by which the human being feels, thinks, decides, or the efficient source of any power, affection, emotion, desire, right? So it's kind of like, like our heart, our thoughts, our feelings, kind of that kind of idea of the spirit that's in us, but also the Holy Spirit. And there's this debate between scholars about which meaning of the word is being referenced in this passage here. But I think both definitions can and should apply here. I think both definitions can and should apply here. To worship in spirit should mean that as the children of God, right? If you're a child of God, you are sealed by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit resides inside you. There's not a temple anymore. The temple doesn't matter. You are the temple. You and I are the temple of the Holy Spirit, of God's presence. And so the Holy Spirit is inside us. He's working in us to awaken an understanding of God's beauty, of his majesty, his holiness, his power, his love and his many other divine attributes to a place where our spirits and our hearts are engaged and genuine gratitude wells up within us so that we thank him for who he is and what he's done for us. Right? And now, this is not hyper-emotionalism or hyper-charismatic. Worship in the spirit would produce the fruit of the spirit. Amen? Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and the one that's not popular in our culture today, but self-control. This is what Sam Storms has to say about what it means to worship God in spirit. He says, to say that we must worship God in spirit means, among other things, that it must originate from within, from the heart. It must be sincere, motivated by our love for God and gratitude for all he is and has done Worship cannot be mechanical or formalistic. That does not necessarily rule out certain rituals or liturgy, but it does demand that all physical postures or symbolic actions must be infused with heartfelt commitment and faith and love and zeal. That's worship in spirit. That's what it means to worship in spirit. What's the second thing? The second thing is truth. We, have, we must worship in truth. What does it mean to worship God in truth? The Greek word here that Jesus uses is the word aletheia. And the word literally means what is universally true in any matter under consideration. That doesn't mean you have your truth and I have my truth and both things can be true at the same time even if they contradict each other. Doesn't mean that. Doesn't mean that. And that's not popular in our world and in our culture today. People want to say, well, I have my truth and you have your truth. And they might contradict each other, but my experiences, you know, 
are true for me and your experiences are true for you. We don't live and base truth off of our experiences. So in terms of true worship, what is truth? Truth is the living word, Jesus, and the written word, scripture, together. It's the living word and the written word. That's what truth is. And so for us to worship in truth, our foundation for truth is the word of God, understood properly through the leading of the Holy Spirit, right? Through, through biblical community, right? Through, through those given the spiritual gifts of preaching and teaching and, and the Holy Spirit guiding us and leading us together to, to interpret scripture together. Now, this is why community is so important because I can be by myself and sit at home and read my Bible, right? And I might think something means one thing and I'm going to live my life that way and be like, I can live my life without the church. I can just love Jesus and read my Bible and, you know, I can go experience Jesus on the golf course or on the lake or whatever. That's not true. For us to worship in truth, we must be in community with one another because my interpretation of scripture might not be the proper interpretation of scripture. That's why we have a community, because God has given us gifts. God has given us the Holy Spirit as a community to be together and to, to, to worship together so that our worship is right and true. Because iron sharpens iron, the Bible says. And so we need, we need to have our truth in alignment with one another and with with this book together. Does that make sense? Okay. And I, I think that's pretty pretty easy for for us. I mean, if you've been going to this church for a while, at least, it's, I think it's pretty easy for us to understand we're a, we're a Bible church, right? And so we hold it pretty high. The Bible is held with pretty high importance in our church. Um, we hold a very high value that worship must be based and rooted in the revelation of who God is in Scripture, right? It's very it's a tightly held belief in this church. It should be in any church, right? It's essential. This is what Sam Storm says also about truth. He says, genuine Christ-exalting worship must never be mindless or based in ignorance. It must be doctrinally grounded and focused on the truth of all we know of our great triune God. To worship inconsistently with what is revealed to us in Scripture ultimately degenerates into idolatry. Okay, so now we know what spirit means. We know what truth means. And in this passage, um, there's a key word here. And the key word in this text is the word and. Right? We, we'd also, we'd most often skip over a simple word like and, right? But true worship is spirit and truth together. It's not one without the other. What happens when you worship in spirit and not truth? It's, what hap it's what's happening, honestly, a lot in our culture today. If our worship is based on just, of our, just our feelings, or just our thoughts, or just our desires, and it doesn't line up with what scripture says, that's not true worship. There are so many people out there today who think that they're worshiping God. Because, you know, they feel like they're worshiping, but they're not. They're, they're worshiping themselves or they're worshiping false gods. And they may be 
very deeply sincere in their false worship, that Jesus says it doesn't matter how sincere you are about your worship, because if you aren't worshiping the true God, as revealed by him, your worship is void, and that is idolatry. And now the flip side of that is just as bad. The flip side is just as bad. Worshiping truths without spirit is just as bad. Worshiping truth without spirit is like what the Jews and the Samaritans were doing back in their day. Right? Because they were worried all about, you know, do we worship on this mountain or do we worship in Jerusalem at this temple? Where, where do we worship? Right? They were all worried about their dogmatic theological camp. And they were trying to put old wine in old wineskins. And so what we see is that you have to have both together. Here's what John Piper says about worshiping in spirit and truth. Truth without emotion produces dead orthodoxy and a church full of artificial admirers. How many of you have ever been to a church like that? You can be honest. It's not a fun place to be. It's not a fun place to be. You know, those are the churches that split over which side of the stage the organ is going to be on. Those are the churches that um, have a lot of fighting over the budget, uh, all kinds of different things, right? Because they're worried about themselves, honestly. And they're worried about having this air of appearance of, oh, well, we worship the truth. We, we worship truth. You know, everything is right here. We have to have everything right. Don't go, don't go to a church like that. Because that's a church that's like, oh, we're trying to be the perfect church. Can I just tell you something today? There's no such thing as a perfect church. There is a perfect God, but there is no perfect church. Every single one of us in here is flawed, and though we may have the Holy, though we do have the Holy Spirit in us, we still battle with the flesh. And I'm going to hurt you, and you're going to hurt me. And so when you commit to a church, you're not committing to like say, oh, I'm only going to come here as long as nobody ever hurts me or offends me. What you're saying is I'm committing to be a part of this family who is pursuing God and living by this book. And when we do hurt each other, we follow this book and we forgive one another and we love one another and we have conflict. You know, I see so many people leave churches because they have one little bad thing happen or one little piece of conflict and they're like, I'm not going there. Can I tell you something? This is not popular, okay? I don't care. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> if you leave a church every time you get your feelings hurt just a little bit, you're going to be one of those people who's at home thinking, I just need my Bible and Jesus, and I'll go worship on the golf course or at the lake. We are going to get hurt in community. We are going to. But we need to love and forgive one another and pursue true worship in spirit and truth together. Amen? Okay. Anyway, rant over. Those are those kind of churches. On the other hand, emotion without truth produces empty frenzy and cultivates shallow people who refuse the discipline of rigorous thought. How many of you have been to one of those kind of churches? I've got this friend. He's a worship pastor at 
at a good church now, but he used to be at another church that's like hyper care. I've never been at like a super hyper charismatic church. This is what I'm talking about. He talks to me all the time about all the crazy stuff that used to happen at a church. It was just like that. He's just like, there was no truth there. It was all just like, if you feel it, do it. You know, there were people running around, like roaring like lions, running around, um, doing all kinds of things, just disorder in worship. And that's not biblical. Like I said earlier, fruit of the Holy Spirit is self-control. If you're losing control during worship, you're not worshiping. That's not the presence of God. True worship comes from people who are deeply emotional and who love deep and sound doctrine. So there is deep emotion in worship, right? You can, you can cry, you can raise your hands, you can close your eyes, you can whatever. You can express yourself in, in, in I'm not saying you can't express yourself in worship. You should express yourself in worship. But it should also be rooted in deep love of sound doctrine. Strong affections for God rooted in truth are the bone and marrow of biblical worship. So I want to talk about one last thing. I told you I wasn't going to go long today, so I'm, going to, I'm almost done. Because we're going to beat all the other churches to the plaza today. Okay? <laughs> That will never, don't say this, that will never happen when Les is preaching. Okay. <laughs> One last thing that sticks out to me about what Jesus says here today in this. Jesus says in this passage that the Father, I mean there's a lot of other things, but this is the last thing I want to talk about. This is what really stuck out to me. He says, the Father is seeking, he is looking, God is looking for people to worship him in this way. He's looking for the people who are willing to worship him in this way. He says, these are, this is the true worshipers. God is looking for true worshipers. Why? Because he needs our worship? No. Because he knows that he alone is worthy of our worship. And in love, he created us to be most fulfilled and most complete when we worship him and him alone. Our original purpose was to worship God, right? To live a life of worship. Everyone, every one of us is worshiping in one way or another. All the time. We are constantly worshiping. We are created as worshipers. We are always outpouring in worship in one way or another towards something. We are born worshipers. God created us to worship. We as a human race are never not worshiping. Now the real question is what and how do we worship? We can worship ourselves. Right? We can worship idols like drugs and sex and money. We can worship things like comfort or fame. Read Romans 1, 21 through 25. We can worship things that aren't bad in and of themselves. But they aren't meant to be worshipped. Right, we can worship our spouse, we can worship our children, we can worship education, we can worship sports. Or we can point our worship in the direction that God best intended for us as humans to flourish, which is towards him. And so, as I close this morning, I want to ask you this question. Okay, I wanna, let's bow our heads 
if we would. You just close your eyes for a moment. The band's going to come back up and get ready to lead us in our closing song. But I want to ask you this question this morning. What are you worshiping? And ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you the areas of your life that, that are not submitted to him in worship. For, for some of us, those, those things may be small things. You know, maybe, maybe you've been a Christian for a long time and um, you're a pretty mature Christian. There are, there are a lot of great mature Christian saints in this church. God, we thank you for that. But for, the, for those people, God, maybe they, there's some small area of their life that you want to reveal to them. Some small thing that they still haven't handed over to you. And God, maybe there's some people in here this morning that are not saved. That are far from you and they haven't submitted any of their life over to you, Jesus. God, I pray, pray that every single one of us in this room this morning would hand more of our heart over to you, more of our life over to you in worship. What is your object of worship? Remember, it doesn't, it doesn't matter if your worship is sincere, because if the object of your worship isn't Jesus, it's idolatry. So I'm going to be quiet for just a moment, and let's all take that moment and just reflect and ask the Holy Spirit, what is in our life that we need to submit to him and say, Lord, this thing has become an idol in my life. And today I smash it on the altar of worship. And I choose to worship you instead. So let's just take a moment and then I'll pray. Father God, we just come to you this morning as your children. Your people humbled by you. By your greatness, your holiness, your power and might, your majesty, your worth, your steadfast love, your grace, and your mercy. All these things God have us as your children in awe of you. Even, even as we're incapable of completely understanding the immensity of all that, right, we're finite beings. We cannot wrap our, wrap our minds completely around you, a finite God, but an infinite God. But we know that you alone are worthy of our worship and that you alone are truth divine. And so we just direct our hearts and our lives towards you this morning. And so would we, would we love you and would we worship you, God, with all of our hearts, with all of our minds, all of our souls, all of our strength, for all the days that we have left on this earth. For you, you are the one who's given us life and breath and given us spirit. And so through your son, we look forward to eternity with you. And we love you when we worship you today. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together and sing our closing song.